1: Today's guest says, Woman's sexuality is an intricate, interwoven phenomenon. You can pull just one thread, unravel the fabric, and reveal the mystery within. We're going to find out a lot more about that in just a moment. Hello, everyone. My name is Pamela Brewer, and I welcome you to this edition of Mind Talk. Today's guest is Dr. Anita Clayton. Dr. Clayton is author of Satisfaction women's sex and the quest for intimacy dr clayton says her mission is to direct your gaze towards the tapestry of your sexual self and coax you to both review and revel in the beauty of its complexity and recognize the stitches loops and imperfections in the weave. that's a bit of a mouthful dr clayton (laughs) welcome to mind talk how are you I'm fine, thank you for having me today it's absolutely my pleasure um, the the title of your book is is very interesting and actually almost seductive so so tell us a little bit about your clinical practice and then we'll we'll get into the conversation about satisfaction
2: yeah so I'm a psychiatrist i Um, in the Department of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Sciences at the University of Virginia where my uh, practice career has been. I have focused on women's mental health issues and derived from that uh, sexual dysfunction and in particular women's sexual dysfunctions. And uh, I see a lot of those kinds of conditions in my clinical practice and thought it might be helpful to talk to women about how they might get some satisfaction, um, and what we can personally do about it. So that's really what the book was about.
1: Well, it, there are certainly many myths, as, as you know, about what's normal when it comes to sex, period, and certainly when it comes to sex and women. Um, but you say that what's normal all depends on what's normal for the individual. That sounds like a lot of different kinds of normal.
2: Well, it's true. But if you look at a bell curve, which is what tells us sort of what's normal, you're talking about 90, 95 percent of the people. But there could be people on one end of, of some aspect of sexuality and people on the other end, and that's still normal. And so what people like to do, what they want to do, um, and what they've been doing uh, that works for them, that can be normal. The problem is is when that changes, and that can change for a whole variety of different reasons. It's also true that, that we don't talk about sex very much, and so we don't always have a perspective about what our experience is like and how that fits in with other people so that we don't feel so unique or different or uh, not like others. And so we don't talk about it if we feel like we're not like others. It's critical for us to talk about this
1: You say that um, women's sexual satisfac- dissatisfaction rather, for women, it's more of a disappointment. It's not a crisis, it's not the end of the world. It's just a disappointment is Is it the same for men?
2: Well, I think one of the issues and why ED, erectile dysfunction, has been such a, a big issue and in the news and on television and ads and things like that is because it's very difficult to have partnered sexual activity for men if they can't get or maintain an erection. For women, she can participate in sexual activity even if there's something that's off in some way for her. Um, If her desire is down, if she doesn't get aroused as easily, if she's not having orgasms as frequently or not having the same intensity of that orgasm uh, as she did in the past. And some of that can occur because of the changes that happen with menopause. Uh, Some of that can happen related to other health issues that come up um, or other medications or substances that we use. So. There are a lot of things that, as we get older, become an issue, but for women, then we're, we're quiet about it. We don't necessarily say, hey, I, this is a big loss for me. I want this back.
1: Do you find that women sense uh, interest in sex and um, sexual satisfaction? is essentially the same across cultures, across races? Across, I mean, are, are there differences depending on where and how she grew up?
2: We, most of the work looking at the percentage of women who experience a problem with their desire or view it as a problem have been in the United States, although there have been some in Europe which look relatively similar. And other countries where the culture related to either partnered sexuality um, that is pleasing your partner or being reproductive-oriented that is really sex is about reproducing and something in between, those might differ with cultures, and they may change the experience that a woman has or certainly change how she feels about talking about her experience and trying to change it
1: you talk about different types of sexual disorders uh what what are the different types so the psychiatrists have
2: been generating the diagnostic and statistical manual for mental disorders for a while and sexual dysfunctions have been placed under under mental disorders because nobody else was really addressing these problems uh More recently, though, the the, uh, ICD-10 has incorporated those, and the ICD-11 will be changing that. So the diagnoses will be much broader and will be very similar between men and women. Um, They usually follow the phases of the sexual response cycle, so desire or sexual interest, um, arousal, that is getting excited, both in your mind and in your genitals, and then uh, orgasm, and then satisfaction with your sexual functioning. So those are really sort of the areas that get looked at in terms of where someone might have a problem. And what we tend to see among premenopausal women is problems that relate to a specific area often whereas postmenopausal women tend to have problems in multiple areas mostly because of hormonal changes that are occurring and that tends to be men don't really have menopause but we do see problems with aging as well in men and start to see more sexual dysfunctions as men age as well
1: so You know, just the fact that sexual disorders is listed um, in a mental health diagnostic manual, you know, I think kind of helps women, helps people to see that there's something really wrong with them if their sense of their sexuality is either not what it used to be or just sort of never was where she thought it should be.
2: And I think one of the key things about that is that the individual must be distressed or bothered or upset by this change. It's usually easier to note a change, and it's certainly easier to treat a problem that is a change than something that's been lifelong or ongoing. Uh, But... If you have low desire and you don't care about that, then you don't have a sexual dysfunction or disorder. I see. But if you do have low desire and you previously felt that your desire was good and adequate for you and you're distressed about that change and you'd like to get it back, that may be more likely something that you should bring up with your provider and talk about that and and see what might be able to be done.
1: Doctor, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I'd like to talk uh, more about the impact of one's emotional self on their sense of their sexual self. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk. I am having a conversation with Dr. Anita Clayton, who is the author of Satisfaction Women, Sex, and the Quest for Intimacy. Don't go away, we'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Dr. Clayton, is it fair to say that there is a difference in how stress or depression affects women's sexuality or sexual desire versus men. Is that a fair statement or an unfair statement?
2: What I would say is that we should think about sexual response in the biopsychosocial model. So biology is relatively similar between men and women. So there's neuroendocrine function, that is sex hormones and neurotransmitters. There are medical conditions, there are genetics and substances and medications. So they're pretty similar. If you start to look at psychology, that is what's going on in an individual person's thinking, then that might differ a little bit. Women tend to have a poor self-image. We worry about how we look, are we appealing, has our body changed, whereas men might be more concerned about performance anxiety. Are they going to be able to uh, have sex in a way that pleases their partner? And then things like depression, which is also a medical or psychiatric condition, impacts both, but women are twice as likely as men to experience depression. Then there's interpersonal relationships, right? So between the individual and others, and especially in terms of intimate relationships, then your past experiences may make a difference. What your life stressors are may make a difference. And often women try to think those through more. Um, It's harder for us to sort of categorize our life and just have sex for example and then go back to worrying about whatever it is we were worrying about we tend to bring it into the room with us and then there are bigger factors sociocultural factors that I think tend to impact more on women so upbringing cultural and religious norms and expectations and those tend to be repressive and they tend to be more repressive for women
1: So it sounds like in a lot of ways women um, are kind of in trouble when it comes to having a, a, a healthy sense of self and one's sexual self. There's so many things that can impact that, particularly for women.
2: And often there's more than one thing that's impacting that. So I think that it's important for us to try to talk with our provider, break that down, see what's going on. I know I treat a lot of people with depression And that can have an impact on our sexual function just by virtue of it's part of the symptomatology. You know, depression is either depressed mood and or loss of interest or pleasure in previously enjoyable activities. And then there are other physical symptoms that go along with that. But if you lose interest or you lose pleasure in things, you may very well lose interest and pleasure associated with sexual activity when you have a depression
1: and of course, and I think
2: that those kinds of things we don't think about.
1: And and with depression, depression, of course, certainly for women, uh, there comes a lot of shame, which doesn't help anything when you start to blame yourself about essentially blaming yourself.
2: Right, and there, so there still is a lot of stigma. Although I think that that is changing to some degree. I think if you look at problems with sexual functioning and you look at depression, they both involve the same neurotransmitters, they both involve sex steroids, and they work in relationship to each other. So if you have depression, you're at greater risk for having sexual dysfunction. If you have sexual dysfunction, you're at greater risk for having depression. And then depression itself impacts on interpersonal relationships, so partnered sexual activity.
1: What about uh, some of the tools that people are offered to deal with their depression, such as medication? Aren't there medications for depression that can actually depress your sex drive?
2: Yes, and impact on other aspects of sexual functioning. So when we look at patients coming into studies uh, to try to test the antidepressants uh, for effectiveness Um, in treatment of depression, we find that people come in and about 70% of them have some sexual dysfunction just as a symptom of their depression. And so it becomes complicated when you add a medication like a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor or SSRI, the most common antidepressants used, which in and of itself, that class of drugs can contribute to sexual dysfunction. Um, So If your depression gets better with the treatment but your sexual dysfunction continues, then it probably is going from being a symptom of the depression to being an effect of the antidepressant therapy. So So when sex is important for people, we we really try to uh, analyze whether that's an issue for them and we look at the adverse effects of medications before prescribing.
1: It sounds like it can become very, very complicated to to understand and and to treat. And in the meantime, what does the woman, as she's trying to deal with the, the various pieces of her own sexuality, how does she communicate with her partner?
2: So that's the other critical person to be talking to. And I think talking outside the bedroom is probably pretty important, not Starting to talk about I'm not interested in sex anymore when you're having sex with your partner. That's probably not um, going to lead to very helpful conversation between the two of you. Probably I know not. I see women with <laughs> no. When I see women with hypoactive sexual desire disorder, which is low sexual desire, that's distressing to women, and we don't have a known other cause for that. Very often, the women are looking for something that has happened that might be contributing to that. But the partners are, are on the receiving end of getting turned down for sexual um, activity for change in behaviors of their partner, like not kissing them or um, going to bed early or going to bed late to sort of avoid being um, asked to participate in sexual activity. And they're not talking about it. So then partners start to feel like she's not in love with me anymore, she's cheating on me, you know, some other concern because they see their partner still as sexy and they're interested in them sexually. So it really can lead to a whole lot of thinking about stuff that leads nowhere if, if it doesn't get talked about.
1: There are also neurological conditions that can impact sex drive. Can you list some of those for us? Oh, sure. So if,
2: for example, Parkinson's disease, anything that's going to impact on these same neurotransmitters, serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine, um, they're going to have uh, the possibility of increased risk of sexual distress. Function and probably depression as well because both of them act on those same systems. So, uh, Parkinson's disease, um, lupus, for example, um, and other conditions that impact on neurological systems like diabetes. Diabetes puts people at increased risk for depression, but also increased risk for neurological damage and vascular or blood vessel damage, all of which are also associated with sexual functioning. So there's lots of medical conditions that, that can contribute to both of those problems.
1: I notice in your book, Satisfaction, that you, you ask the reader to ask themselves a lot of questions, and one of the questions you mm-hmm. pose is, whom do you love and why? Say more about that. That's an interesting question.
2: Well, I think a lot of times we think that we're involved with a partner who's very different, for let's say, than our parents, but They may, in fact, not be different from one or more of our parents. And one of the things about that is, do we love the person more or do we want them to love us more? Because that puts you, again, in a different position in terms of thinking about your own sexuality and sort of having expectations and asking for those expectations to be met. So I think also... If we love people that are really not good for us or that don't actually meet the needs that we can identify that we want, then we may end up being unhappy or unhappy in our sexual lives as well.
1: You also have a sexual inventory uh, in, in your book, which is entitled Your Patterns of Intimacy, what do you mean by your patterns of intimacy, and why why is that important well i th- I think probably the
2: biggest thing I would say about that is that we often don 't don 't think about what we 're doing when it comes to sexuality i mean it 's lucky for us that it just can happen relatively without a lot of instruction um, because it's physiologically complicated, and as I mentioned, it has all these other factors influencing it. Um, and do we go into into sexual activity with our own expectations, what we want to get out of it, what we want to do uh, and in the process, and do we speak up for ourselves? So I think that there are a lot of things that relate to intimacy. And most partners want to know what you want. Right, They want to try to please you. Um, if they don't, you probably want a different partner than that. And I think also sometimes women approach sexuality as making the partner feel good instead of making herself feel good. Which and I think that that can also... Win-
1: well, I would say that certainly for women, the idea of making herself feel good versus her partner, I mean, that that's almost hardwired into many women, depending on their age, that that's really what she's supposed to do. She's supposed to be concerned about her partner and not herself.
2: But I think some of that is just what we see in the media and then what we hear from those more repressive sociocultural uh, factors, because I think... I have met many women who have had a very uh, satisfying sexual life, that they have been very pleased with uh, their intimate relationships, and it's the loss of that that is really a problem for them, and that's why they come in and talk about it. So there are lots of women experiencing a very satisfying sexual life. It's just that when it, it changes, it's important to try to sort through what going on? Why is that happening? Uh, And and we need to encourage women to feel like they have a sense of control over that and also to basically request that their expectations be met either by their partner or potentially by their provider. I know I prescribe antidepressants too, and I ask people before I prescribe them what side effects do you really want to avoid? What I tend to hear from men a greater percentage of the time is I don't want sexual dysfunction, and then second, I don't want to gain weight. For women, it's I don't want to gain weight, and then second, I don't want to have sexual dysfunction.
1: It, so as a
2: provider, I can think about that in advance when I'm prescribing a treatment Gotcha. because we have antidepressants that are less likely to cause sexual dysfunction.
1: Well, I think that's certainly an important piece of information for people to be clear about as well. Dr. Clayton, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will continue. is there an age at which women should just not even think about being sexual? No. No. Uh, I I think what what we tend
2: to see is that women who've had satisfying sexual lives um, when they were reproductive, when they were younger, and uh, having sexual activity with relative frequency, they continue to have satisfying sexual lives uh, late in life and uh, continue, although the frequency may decline, they still do continue to participate uh, in sexual activity. I think people who struggle with more problems early on, and sometimes that can happen as a result of uh, sexual trauma uh, or other stressors or medical or psychiatric conditions that I mentioned before, then they may... Get discouraged earlier, or may actually have um, physical problems that that contribute and need to be addressed specifically. So, no, I don't think we should ever say you're too old for sex.
1: <laughs> and you know, you said no almost before I finished the question. So, I think you're 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 pretty clear about that one. I'm pretty clear, and I have a lot of
2: patients that are pretty clear. <laughs>
1: um, you know, we don't talk about it
2: we don't want to think oh our parents were having sex but of course they did and so did our grandparents and sometimes they still are doing it when when they're quite elderly and enjoying it
1: and that's the important thing that they're really enjoying that that kind of connection and and age is not necessarily a barrier to that at all Dr. Clayton, where can folks no. get more information about the book you've written, Satisfaction, Women's Sex, and the Quest for Intimacy, and indeed the work that you're doing? So I would
2: say that there are lots of um, sources on the Internet for obtaining that book. It's probably in your library too. So I, I think the thing I would say about it is that however you want to, to proceed, I think trying to sort out what your own wishes and desires are, and then what about you is potentially getting in the way, and then trying to talk to the people that you need to talk to to make it happen, whether that's talking to your physician or your psychiatrist about medications, whether that's talking to your partner about what's going on, what you're feeling, what's changed. Um, Even if you don't have the answers, talking about it, shining a light on it really does help because if we're just quiet and keep it sort of internal and, and maybe even in the dark to ourselves, then we're not going to be able to change it.
1: What do you hope that people will gain when they walk away from your book, Satisfaction? What do you want them to accomplish or to know?
2: I hope they know themselves a lot better. I hope they know what it is they want. I hope they feel confident in talking about it with somebody who can make a difference um, or who it potentially is impacting upon, like their intimate partner. And I think I'd like them to feel like they have the ability to change it, to to make some difference to getting something closer to what they had before back. Because I think we have a lot of autonomy that we don't utilize.
1: Well, that's probably very true. Dr. Anita Clayton, author of Satisfaction, Women, Sex, and the Quest for Intimacy, thank you so much for the work you're doing and certainly for the time you've spent with us today.
2: Thank you, Dr. Brewer.
1: And, folks, thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind MindTalk Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. And don't forget you can go to mindtalk.org, M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G, to sign up for a free giveaway as well as the program guide, and you're always able to download any MindTalk program by going to that website. There are also several other platforms available to you. All of that information is at the MindTalk website. MindTalk is produced by Jim Brown and 26x2 Communications. If you'd like to be in touch with me, that's Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. Again, that's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And folks, remember always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care.
0: guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but